You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. And I'd like to welcome you to a special series today, the focus on diabetes. I am Dr. Danny Petrasic, your host. And with me today are two special guests. I have Dr. Lewis Philipson of the University of Chicago. Dr. Philipson is a professor of medicine and is also the director of the University of Chicago Comprehensive Diabetes Center. Welcome, Dr. Philipson. Thank you. Nice to be here. <laughs> also, we have today Lori Jaffe, who's been involved in the field of diabetes from a patient's point of view and a mother of a patient, more specifically. And we're going to be talking to her about the special circumstances of her daughter and her diagnosis of neonatal diabetes. The topic today is, the simplest way to put it is neonatal diabetes. Lori, you have a completely different perspective on this disease than any of us. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about historically how life progressed for you with respect to diabetes and your daughter, Lily? Well, first of all, Lily was diagnosed with type 1, as we thought it was then, when she was only one month old. Her diagnosis was actually done by fluke. Our pediatrician's office, typically for the one-month checkup, does a urine test for all one-month-old babies that come through, and among other things, they check for glucose in the urine, and lo and behold, in the 50 years of this particular pediatric practice, Lily was the very first to have glucose in her urine, followed it up with a blood test, and the next thing we knew, we had a one-month-old baby in the hospital with diabetes, and my husband and I receiving a crash course in diabetes education. Was anybody in the family diabetic that you knew of? Interestingly, no family history whatsoever of type 1 or type 2 in either my family or my husband's family. But interestingly, in the past few years, my sister's two daughters have both been diagnosed with type 1. Definitely at uh, later ages than Lily, so we know it, you know, there could be no kind of connection with that same mutation with them. But other than that, no family history at all. Was Lily your first child? Lily was our second child. And so, you know, we were in the hospital with her with, at that point, a 20-month-old son at home. I just had a C-section, so you can imagine our lives were pretty devastated at that point. We were pretty consumed and felt swallowed up by a disease that we had no experience with and had no understanding of at all. And it really took a full year for us to really feel like we had a handle on how to manage her. And as you can imagine, with a baby and the growth, very difficult to try to come up with the cocktail of insulins that would be appropriate for her. From Lily's point of view, since she can remember, she had been taking insulin and then, and she'd been placed on a pump since she was a toddler, I'm imagining, right? Yes. She was on injections until she was four. Actually, when she turned four, had a couple of nighttime seizures that were very frightening. At that point, our pediatrician really encouraged us to consider the pump. We had tried it a couple of times with Lily, but she was so tiny that it was, you know, kind of hard to manage just the wearing of the pump. So when she was four, we did it, and she was actually very happy with it. She knew it gave her some freedom that she didn't have before. And of course, we eliminated the shots that were sometimes, you know, five, six times a day. And of course, it was replaced by 
infusion set changes every couple of days, but that was an improvement over the constant shots. So here you are, you're raising Lily and at some point probably mastered, you know, the treatment of diabetes and knew all the signs of when you should bring her to see the physician, infections and so forth. And I understand you were also active in some organizations as well. Yes. From the time Lily was first diagnosed, the local Chicago chapter of JDRF reached out to us and really helped us at a a very scary time. They provided us with a lot of support, and we became very active in the organization. In fact, my husband served on the board for six years. Fast forward that to a year ago last summer, actually June 26, 2006, (laughs) to be exact. (laughs) I'll never forget the day. When my husband, Mike, attended the local annual meeting of JDRF where actually Dr. Philipson was there to present all of the latest in diabetes research findings. And among all the findings was the very brief mention of this Dr. Hattersley study, which now we know the timing Dr. Hattersley had just been at University of Chicago and presented the findings of his paper there, and this was just one month later that Dr. Philipson was at the Chicago JDRF meeting presenting the same findings. And of course, I think the research went over the heads of most in attendance there because all of their children were diagnosed at a much later age. Dr. Philipson had said that this applied to children that were diagnosed with type 1 at six months or younger. And, of course, Lily had been diagnosed at one month. So immediately after Dr. Philipson was done with his presentation, Mike cornered him and talked to him about Lily and our case. And the next thing you know, we have a DNA kit at our doorstep. We had Lily do the little test, which was quite comical. (laughs) it in a little cup and we sent it back to University of Chicago. And 10 days later, Dr. Philipson called and told us that indeed Lily was positive for this rare mutation. And I have to tell you that when my husband came home and told me about the possibilities of this unbelievable medical breakthrough. I really couldn't even hear it because we had been on such an emotional roller coaster for six and a half years. She had had genetic testing done in the past. We thought that she might have transient diabetes that she would outgrow, which of course she didn't. You know, all the time hoping and praying for a cure, working for a cure, and this just seemed impossible. So I wouldn't allow myself emotionally to go there. And then when we got the results back, you know, I think our minds were blown just considering the possibility of Lily being free of insulin for the first time in her six-and-a-half-year-old life. Perhaps I should explain how it was that we were able to do that in 10 days. (laughs) Wonderful. So it turns out, of course, that the key element here is is that my colleague Graham Bell and Graham has been in the diabetes genetics field for, probably he didn't want to hear this, but maybe 30 years, and is a key player in cloning so many interesting genes, the insulin gene itself, and many other critically interesting proteins that are related to metabolism. But Graham had already had one case of a KCNJ11 mutation of a little girl in Loma Linda who had been discovered by the doctors there 
But again, it hadn't penetrated sort of the, the consciousness, and there was no publicity associated with it. So when I came back after speaking at the JDRF meeting, and I immediately told Graham that night that we had a potential KCN J11 mutation, his labs and I are, are right next to each other, and, and he said, well, gee, we have the oligo. So that means that using a technique called PCR, or the polymerase chain reaction, he was already set up to make DNA from a small saliva sample, not even blood, and we could run the entire gene, so the KCNJ11 gene is a small one, very easy to, to amplify using this polymerase chain reaction uh, in a lab that's set up for it. So then it was only a question of getting the saliva kit out there and then running the sequence and verifying the sequence in order to be sure. And at this point, there are several labs, commercial labs, that also do it. But it is critical to point out how rare it is and how there are some other factors, low birth weight, early onset. One doesn't want to be doing these genetic testing without a clear idea of what's going on. And at this point, because of the longstanding treatment with insulin and so forth, I suppose it was still going to be a bit of a mystery whether the therapy was going to work. Well, yes. <laughs> uh, so keep in mind that here Hattersley was talking about 50 or so cases. As far as we knew at the time, there the one case in Loma Linda, maybe a handful, three, four, five cases of Hattersley's were also collected from the United States. But almost all of his cases were from Europe, Asia, elsewhere in the world. So because there's no neonatal diabetes registry, or in fact any diabetes registry of any kind in the United States, there was no one here in the country who had specific experience, maybe except the one case in Loma Linda, with transferring a patient off of insulin and onto sulfonylureas. So we were able to get Hattersley's protocol, work through it. It turned out to be not all that difficult since we had a clinical research center here, and we set out to do it. Lori, let me get back to you. Now, here you are. You're hearing about this information. It's shaking your whole system of what, you know, you're going to be doing with your daughter for the next umpteen years. And now you're faced with having to explain this to Lily. How did you go about doing that? And give us just an outline of what her response was like. Well, that was the interesting thing. We thought that Lily would be beyond excited to be freed of her pump and the constant testing and having me hover over every bite of food that she ate in order to calculate the carbs, to give her the insulin to cover everything that she ate and drank, having to have me tag along with her at every birthday party and play date. We thought that it would actually be a relief to her. And when we explained the possibility that she might be able to go off of her pump and take pills twice a day, she actually broke down hysterically crying. And, you know, it's so understandable now in, in retrospect as we think that insulin and her pump had been her lifeline her entire life. Her identity had been so much wrapped up in her diabetes. And this was taking something that she knew, something that she trusted in and was comfortable with away, and she couldn't even grasp a life without it, even though she had two siblings that do not have diabetes and lived a normal life. But for her, there was comfort in insulin and in her pump. 
so, you know, we kind of had to backtrack and tell her that we really wouldn't take her pump away. And we were, you know, thinking originally of giving it to some child that could otherwise not afford a pump. But we had to backtrack and say, you know, if you want to keep it, you can put it on a keychain, you can sleep with it, you can carry it around with you, whatever you need to do, we won't take the pump away from you. And once we gave her the assurances that, you know, I would still be an intimate part of her life, I would still come to birthday parties with her if she needed me there, you know, in a transition. So once she got that reassurance, then she was willing to go forward and, you know, kind of take the the leap of faith with us as we ventured to the Clinical Research Center at U of C. I'd like to thank Dr. Lewis Phillipson of the University of Chicago School of Medicine and Lori Jaffe for being our guest today. And we've been discussing neonatal diabetes. I'm Dr. Danny Petrasic, and you've been listening to a special series, Focus on Diabetes on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals.